Welcome to the Weird Christmas Podcast. This is Craig Kringle. Last year, my Thanksgiving message was that Thanksgiving's confusing. I haven't changed my mind. One thing I do like, though, is that my mom always makes us go around the table and say what we're thankful for each year. It's very sweet and heartwarming, but I thought maybe we can improve on that if we set a theme for each year. Like, what if all your gratefulness proclamations had to be stock car related, or had to reference 19th century German philosophy? Or what if they all had to start with the phrase, if that bastard shows up one more time, you know, really turn it into a challenge? Maybe I'm missing the point again. I'm in luck this year, though, because I've got a bunch of people gathered around my virtual table, and they all picked a theme for me. But before we get to that, you might want to know who they are, why they're here, and am I hallucinating? No, to be honest, I'm just plugging something. You may remember last year when a bunch of Christmas podcasters told a story in pieces. It was a shameless ploy to get you to listen to other people I like. Share the listening and subscribing love, as it were. Well, we've done it again. At this time, we've gotten a bit more formal. We made a thing called the Christmas Podcast Network. In fact, there's a website for it called christmaspodcastnetwork.com, oddly enough. This is a place where you can go to find a carefully curated collection of Christmas-themed podcasts. It's way easier than browsing through iTunes or whatever you use. So a bunch of us decided to put together a little sampler for you. That way you can see if there's a voice you like, or if someone has a personality that doesn't make you want to die. Personally, I like all of these folk, although they let me in their club, so their taste is questionable. But we decided that we'd all talk about something Christmassy, like musical Christmas traditions. Decided, though, isn't quite right. You may remember a random survey that was going around in October that like a bunch of Christmas podcasts and social media types were sharing. It was just us trying to figure out what to talk about. Sorry, I hope that didn't kill the magic and mystery of the marketing process. My bad. But if you want to know the other results of that survey, they're at weirdchristmas.com in the show notes for this episode. So let's start with someone who actually knows what he's doing. Brian Earle started Christmas Past a couple years ago, and now he's expanded to a full media conglomerate called ChristmasPast.media. This is a sample of the great stuff you'll hear from him. Oh, and a teaser. I'm running a contest this year where you can win money and even get published, but you have to keep listening for details. First, though, here's Brian. As a Massachusetts native, I feel a certain pride in knowing that some of our most beloved Christmas traditions began right in my own backyard. The first department store Santa Claus appeared in the city of Brockton, a ten-minute drive from where I grew up. And that well-known song, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear, well, that was written by a minister from the nearby town of Wayland. And speaking of well-known Christmas songs, there's another one that came to be in the town of Medford, just a few miles north of Boston, in 1850. The town even placed a commemorative plaque marking the exact location where the song was written. But here's where it gets interesting. Savannah, Georgia has its own commemorative plaque making the same claim. This is the surprising story of one of the best-known and most-sung Christmas songs ever, one that isn't even truly a Christmas song, and the strange feud over its true birthplace. And it all centers on a songwriter named James, who was born in Massachusetts to a good family, the son of a Unitarian minister, his nephew was the famous financier J.P. Morgan. James himself was a bit of a wanderer. In his early teens, he'd run away to sea aboard a whaling ship. And then he served in the Navy and later tried and failed at going into business in California during the gold rush. He wrote songs for minstrel shows and for the Confederacy during the Civil War. He had joined a Confederate cavalry in Georgia, serving as a company clerk, even though his own family were abolitionists. All of this we know for certain. What we don't know for certain, and may never know, is when and where our story really begins. Here's how one side goes. James had a talent for music and an idea for a melody, but what he didn't have was a piano. 
So he bundled up against the November New England chill and trudged through the snow to Simpson Tavern, a boarding house and home to the town of Medford's one and only piano. And on that day in 1850, in the presence of one Mrs. Waterman, the proprietor of Simpson Tavern, James sat down at the piano and began the process of translating the idea in his head into notes and fingerings on the keyboard. The tune was simple and sweet and jaunty, and Mrs. Waterman is said to have called it a, quote, merry little tune. With the tune settled on, now all he needed were some lyrics, and James found inspiration in the quintessentially New England scenes all around him, in the snow covering the ground and the treetops, and the activities people partook of in the snow, in courtship and betting on races. James set his verses and choruses to paper to accompany his merry little tune. Now, here's how the other side of the story goes. In 1857, James was living in Savannah, where he was the musical director of the Unitarian Church there. And as November approached, he found himself homesick for those snowy New England scenes that he had left behind. So when it was time for James to write a special song for the children's choir to sing at the Thanksgiving church service, he came up with this festive tune evoking the glory of crisp air and cheeks rosy from the cold, and outdoor winter fun of the romantic variety. Now, for many years, Medford made its claim unchallenged, until one day in 1969, when a Savannah man named Milton Ron first made a counterclaim. Because after a little research, he was able to determine that James was living in Savannah when he published the song in 1857. And though it is possible that James wrote the song in Medford in 1850, it's unlikely that he'd wait seven years to publish it. So the argument goes, which apparently convinced enough people because in 1985, the mayor of Savannah erected the commemorative marker across from James's church. And that didn't sit too well with the folks in Medford. So a few years later, the mayor of Medford wrote an angry letter to the mayor of Savannah, declaring Medford to have the true and rightful claim, to which the mayor of Savannah replied with an angry letter of his own, standing his ground. And this is where we still are today nearly 30 years later, with both sides claiming ownership and neither side willing to budge, and not much to go on in terms of settling the score once and for all. But it's easy to see why each place would want to stick to its guns, for bragging rights about being the true home to one of the most famous Christmas carols of all. One that doesn't even mention Christmas, or any holiday for that matter. One about courtship and racing and wintertime fun. The first song ever broadcast from space the jaunty little melody the children often learn as their first song on the piano, and which was first published in 1857 under its original title, The One Horse Open Sleigh, which the author would change two years later when republishing the song as Jingle Bells. Brian's a master of that smooth NPR voice. But in all honesty, it shows a great series of mini documentaries about Christmas traditions with wonderful interviews and fascinating research. He also sticks to putting out shows during the season like I do. Some of the other podcasters go year-round. Christmas Creeps is one I listen to all the time. A one-stop shop for awful holiday movies the whole year round. The three hosts, Joseph Wade, Johnny Five, The Human Robot, and Mr. Bradford take apart the worst that Christmas cinema has to offer. Although this time they're not talking about one that's too bad. Greetings, holiday shoppers. This is Joseph Wade here for Christmas Creeps. Uh, today, I'm here with our good friend and music expert, Libby Cudmore, to discuss one of her favorite Christmas movie soundtracks. Libby, tell me, what is your favorite uh, Christmas movie soundtrack? My favorite Christmas movie soundtrack is 
like hands down the nightmare before christmas that's a really good choice like especially considering like it's one of the, it's like i guess the only real christmas movie that kind of transcends holidays like you once you hit october you can put on nightmare before christmas and then let it let it send you right on through you know new years yeah and it doesn't there's something about it i don't know if it's because it's tied to a film where i have a real thing with christmas music where i don't i don't want to hear it before december 1st like i will go into a rage if i hear it before december 1st but the nightmare before christmas is exempt from that rule because it's danny elfman and danny elfman can do literally whatever he wants at all times uh but yet also like because so much of it is also like halloween music so Mm -hmm. it really it really sort of serves dual purposes yeah which is great kind of it's uh you could bridge through november and it's also just phenomenal it's It's so so well written you know, and so much of the so much of the music is tied to the story, and so much of the story is told through song mm-hmm. that you can really get a full sense of the the movie just by listening to the soundtrack. It's great. Yes, but um, it's I've had this on tape, CD, and now thanks to my friend Corey, uh, vinyl picture disc. Ooh. So this is one of the albums uh, that I have had uh, in all formats. That's that's always yeah. uh, that, that's the sign of a true fan right there. Oh yeah, no, I am hardcore. <laughs> I'm in for the Nightmare Before Christmas. So, um, among the songs in Nightmare Before Christmas, which one do you stands out as, I guess, the most Christmassy? Probably what's this is like that's my big uh, Christmas song. But I have been known to play Making Christmas while decorating my Christmas tree or wrapping presents. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, it's it's too it's too perfect, you know. Because he's making Christmas, baby. <laughs> but, but it's in that minor key. It's so like it's like a it's death so dirge damn. where you're just like wrapping presents, making Christmas. Like you're on assembly, you're on like a assembly line in like 192. Yeah, you know, there's coal dust everywhere. Yeah, and that's because I love I love Christmas, but I also am not super great. I'm terrible at wrapping presents, and I'm not mm. real great about like I don't decorate for Christmas. And I think my husband would like to do like more. And I like I insist on having a tree, but I don't do garlands and I don't do the whole thing. So it does feel a little bit. And he's like, let's do the tree. Like, I got to do this shit. So, <laughs> so I you, like you, a- you need something that's going to like motivate you to like get the job done. And yeah. And I yeah. love the tree when it's up. But the idea of like having to assemble our tree and get all the lights and everything on it is just like, really? It, it's it's kind of a chore. Making Christmas, yeah, um, and shopping. I hate shopping. But so so yeah, like making Christmas is like the the, the really good uh, song to put on when you're really trying to get things done for the holiday yeah. season. But then what's this is that's the song that you play when it's like mid November and you're, you're finally ready to commit to Christmas and it's, yes. you're, you're excited about it again, you know? Yes. And it's just the, the, that one to me, I think the orchestration is so much better and Danny Elfman's voice is so beautiful. It's so lilting. And so it's like warm cocoa. It just like goes just <laughs> through you and makes you feel good. And it's just, it's lovely. It's just pure loveliness. And every bit of his phrasing is gorgeous. And even just like as I'm picturing the scene in my head, it's a beautiful scene and the colors are so gorgeous. And I do love, I love stop motion animation. Really, really do. Well, I'm looking up the lyrics for this real quick. Cause there's like one line, there's one couplet in here that I really, I've always loved. One verse, I guess. 
There's children throwing snowballs instead of throwing heads. They're busy building toys, and absolutely no one's dead. Like, how did you know a- that was fun? <laughs> because it's brilliant and it's so weird. Yeah, it's it's the whole movie in like in like four lines. You know, and just that like that throwing heads is something so innocent that they do. And whereas, like, in the real world, like, that would be savage and people would be dead. And, like, and absolutely, no one's dead. And no like, one's dead here. It's great. It's I so love weird. it. <laughs> <laughs> people are alive here. Because, obviously, they're sentient in Halloween Town. I mean, they're a sentient skeleton and a sentient ragdoll. But they're alive. An ascension bug man. Right, exactly. Everyone, so. Everyone's alive here and things are vibrant and colorful and everything that I'm not. Yeah. Is, that's kind of the theme of, of the song. But yeah, like, what's this? It really is. It's. It, so- it sparkles. It sounds like sparkles. It is like the, I think it's the one song on this entire soundtrack that you could play outside of the movie and it'd be mm-hmm. as, li- as like a Christmas song on the radio. Yeah. Partly, partly because because everybody everybody loves it, but also yeah. just because like I don't know, it's the one thing that's really like vibrant and and excited to be a part of the Christmas season, you know. Yes, and just don't play it before December first, or I'll get mad. Right. Thanks, Libby, for being here with me. Thank or, you for having me. Always. Anytime. Uh, we will see y'all later. I see you later. And for more fun Christmas movie chatter, please visit us on the web at christmascreeps.com. Christmas Creeps, check them out. Personally, I like their pieces about random Christmas TV episodes best. So, I said I was going to mention a contest, and here it is. This year, I'm doing a flash fiction contest. If you're a writer, know a writer, or want to become a writer, then write for me so I can fill up an episode without doing any work. I'm looking for stories of no more than 350 words about anything strange and Christmassy, or Solstice-y, or Hanukkah-y, or Kwanzaa-y, as long as it's weird and winter holiday themed. It's good. $50 go to the winner. 25 for second place, and I'll read and post all the honorable mentions I like as well. There's more info on the website, weirdchristmas.com, and the deadline's coming up December 10th. Another one of the year-round podcasts is Tim Babb's Can't Wait for Christmas. Tim describes his show as a podcast where an obscure stand-up comedian explores the traditions, trappings, and terrificness of the merriest holiday on Earth. But it's a really fun variety show he puts out pretty regularly, spending way more effort on this thing than I ever do. One of my most favorite Christmas traditions is caroling. Getting together with a group of people, going door to door, and spreading the Christmas joy through song. It's the best. When I was in high school choir, we would actually break up into quartets at Christmas time, and the teacher would rent us out to sing at parties or malls or wherever. It was a great way to raise money for our out-of-town concerts, and it's where I learned quickly which carols were crowd favorites, which ones were the most fun to sing, and which ones had the most Christmas spirit. Now... On my show, I do a countdown feature called Five Golden Things, and today, I'm going to utilize that feature to list the five best songs to sing when you go caroling. Here we go! Number five. Silent Night. Silent Night. This is the granddaddy of all carols. Everybody is going to love it if you sing this song. We devoted an entire feature to this on my show, and it's a beautiful song that is revered the world over. It's also a great song to use as a cover if you're trying to tell your best friend's wife that to you she is perfect. Boom! Love Actually reference, baby! Nailed it!
Number four. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. There are a lot of reasons to like this song. It's a little more upbeat than songs like Silent Night. It makes some use of some serious old school grammar with the Lord has come. But for me, I especially like the harmony. If you're caroling with a bunch of musically inclined people, this is a great one to sing because it's just fun and it sounds great when you harmonize. Number three. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Glory to the newborn King. This is a great one because not only is it a classic Christmas carol, if you get nervous and forget the words, you can always pull a Charlie Brown and save yourself. bells jingle bells jingle bells jingle all the way my absolute favorite christmas carol for my money it's the most singable christmas carol there is if you're trying to get the people you're singing to to sing along this is the song everybody knows these lyrics wait if this is your favorite christmas song why is it at number two well imaginary listener sounds kind of like kermit the frog i'll tell you when we get to number one but first we've got an honorable mentions 12 Days of Christmas. On the 12th day of Christmas, my true love sent to me. Yes, if you're a choral group and you're renting yourself out by the hour, this is a song that will take up a good chunk of that hour because it's super long. Though, you might want to bring a cheat sheet. It can be hard to remember the gifts for each day. Maybe a podcast should do a deep dive into this song before the end of the year. Hmm. Anyway, on to... Number one. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Now, this is not my favorite carol, but it is the best one for keeping everybody's energy up. Not just for the song itself, but the unofficial parts of the song that everybody loves to shout out. Like a light bulb. All of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. Like Pinocchio. They never let poor Rudolph join in any reindeer game. Like Monopoly. Whether you're the caroler or the audience member, shouting out like a maniac is always fun. And Rudolph gives you the chance to do it under the guise of Christmas spirit. Well, that's my list. Hope you enjoyed it. Let me know if you can think of some songs I left out that are great for Christmas caroling. In the meantime, who's next? I have different feelings about caroling, but we'll get into my contributions in a bit. First, though, let's take a listen to Tinsel Tunes. This show is hosted by Dwayne Bailey, who has a beautiful Kiwi accent because, of course, he's from New Zealand, the country that Santa visits first. Duane really delves into the backstory of famous Christmas tunes which are fascinating if not always happy, like the one he describes here. Whether you're singing quietly along while shopping at a mall, caroling by candlelight, or belting out a festive tune during a holiday party, you probably know the words to your favourite Christmas song, but what about their meanings? Songs like Do You Hear What I Hear has apocalyptic undertones. In 1962, during the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis, Songwriters Noel Regney and Gloria Shane Baker, whom were married at the time, wrote it as a plea for peace during the threat of nuclear war, which was a very real fear of America at the time. Regney had been invited by a record producer to write a Christmas song, but he was hesitant due to the commercialism of the Christmas holiday. It has since sold tens of millions of copies and has been covered by hundreds of artists. When Bing Crosby or Johnny Mathis or Carrie Underwood sing of A star, a star, dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite, it conjures a mental vision of the biblical star of Bethlehem, leading the Magi to the Son of God. It also invokes a nuclear missile. During this time, the producer was in the studio listening to the radio to see if we had been obliterated, Regney once explained. While on my way home, 
I saw two mothers with their babies in strollers. The little ones were looking at each other and smiling. This inspired the first line of the song, said the night wind to the little lamb. With this context, a perennial Christmas standard with a feel-good mood such as this song suddenly seems much more haunting, even modern. Not that it's not haunting on its own. Like many great Christmas songs, it is a one of call and response, and of dramatic shifts in volume and pitch. Each refrain begins with a question, sung solemn and low, and then jumps up the scales for the answer. This creates a sense of size, of craning upwards for revelation. The lyrics are expressive, highlighting a conversation between animate objects and not. For instance, a voice as big as the sea. The mentions of the child make the song Christian, but when there's the command for people everywhere to pray for peace, the import is beyond any one religion. Baker once said that because of the fearful mood of the nation at the time, she and Regney had a hard time singing, Do you hear what I hear? without crying. Our little song broke us up. Perhaps with the current state of the world, there's reason enough for it to have the same effect today, unfortunately. Depressed yet? Actually, that's exactly the kind of backstory I like with my Christmas. Gotta shake off that sentimental sappiness and get to the real dark heart of winter. But I know that's the minority opinion. Most people have much more fun, just like Mike Westfall does in his show Advent Calendar House. Mike talks about all kinds of holiday specials, not just Christmas ones. But you can tell he likes this holiday best, as is good, right, and true. He also proves his goodness, rightness, and truth by choosing the absolute best Christmas album as his favorite. And anyone with a different opinion is wrong. Hi, I'm Mike from the Advent Calendar House. It's been 59 days since my last holiday podcast. One of my earliest memories, not just of Christmas, but of being alive, is decorating the tree when I was four years old. And by decorating the tree, I mean watching my parents do it while I jump on the couch, singing along to the most important Christmas soundtrack of my life. John Denver and the Muppets, A Christmas Together. Miss Piggy would belt out... And I'd chime in with... It never quite feels like Christmas to me without singing Muppets, even when they're singing a song that has nothing to do with Christmas. And there are a lot of Muppet songs we only associate with Christmas by approximation. One example on this album is When the River Meets the Sea, a song about death and the peaceful transition to the afterlife. But it's a song we only listen to at Christmas time, because composer Paul Williams wrote it specifically for the Jim Henson special Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Despite the Gift of the Magi-style story and being set during the days leading up to Christmas, none of the songs from Emmett Otter have anything to do with the holidays. But for so many of us, December doesn't feel right without some jug band music and a mess of mama's barbecue. I came across another, better-known song while watching a holiday special for the Advent Calendar House. 1978's Christmas at Walt Disney World begins with a choir of Christmas carolers singing... My favorite things from The Sound of Music. Sure, there's a passing mention of snowflakes and sleigh bells, silver-white winters, and brown paper packages tied up with strings, but you won't find any direct ties to any holiday in the lyrics. So how did it become a Christmas song? Well... Years before she was cast in the film version of The Sound of Music, Julie Andrews sang the song on a TV Christmas special for The Gary Moore Show in 1961. But that alone wasn't what made it a holiday staple. 
The answer, it turns out, had to do with early promotion for the Sound of Music film. According to a 2017 Billboard article by contributor Fred Bronson, My Favorite Things first turned up on a Christmas album by singer Jack Jones in 1964 after a promoter for the movie suggested its inclusion. The Billboard article adds the album's producer, Mickey Cap, initially protested, saying, That's not a Christmas song. To which the promoter replied, Just add sleigh bells. The December after The Sound of Music hit theaters in 1965, My Favorite Things ended up on more Christmas albums by Andy Williams, Eddie Fisher, and notably The Supremes, whose version of the song can be heard in this year's new animated retelling of The Grinch. My heart is corrupt, empty, and filled with discarded Krampus horns, but I gotta admit that I still tear up when I watch Emmett Otter. But most of our podcasts are on the happier side, and Tis the Podcast is, to me, probably the happiest of them all. Anthony, Julia, and Tom talk all year long about Christmas movies, and they somehow manage to keep the spirit going the whole time. I'm suspicious, of course, because I would need tons of Nog and Wassail to be as upbeat as they are, but they do a great show. I'm Anthony. I'm Tom. I'm Julia. And we're the elves from Tis the Podcast, the podcast dedicated to keeping the Christmas spirit alive 365 days a year. So... I would like to tell you about one of my Christmas traditions uh, having to do with music. And this one, I'm going to take it back a few years. It's not a tradition I continue, but it is something that means a lot to me because it was where my Christmases started. So back in Magnolia, Arkansas, where my grandma was, we would go every Christmas. And as we were decorating her handmade tree, the form was handmade and all 225 ornaments were handmade in the Depression era with bits and pieces of stuff that she could find. We would put old Christmas records on her record player. We would put the Elvis record on and we would put another record that I can't even tell you who sang it, but it was the weirdest, funniest old thing I've ever heard in my life. And we would sing and laugh because man, old records are like weird. (laughs) Sometimes um, it's where my love slash hate relationship with Blue Christmas, Elvis's Blue Christmas, started. Um, and and to this day, when I hear it, I, I like the crackles of the vinyl if I can hear it, regardless of the fact that I really don't like that song, but I do kind of like it. Um, so anytime I'm decorating the tree, in the back of my mind, I always hear vinyl Elvis. And I think very fondly of a family that's not really around anymore because they were old back then. Uh, So that's my music tradition. Um, What about y'all's? Every year, one of my favorite things we do as a family is we go to a Lessons and Carols service at Christine's Parents Church. Um, It's a tradition that started at King's College in England where the... Uh, choir and congregation sing Christmas hymns dispersed between different biblical readings, all building up to the birth of Christ. Um, it's a really fun service. We either do that or we go hear Handel's Messiah. We have not been able to go for the last couple of years because of a crazy loud child, but we're going to try Lessons and Carols. Uh, we're actually going to try twice. We're going to try two services this year. And I'm really excited because it's just this this beautiful development of Christmas music and telling the Christmas story all in one. It just gives me all the feels. How about you, Anthony? I listen to Christmas music every year. 
You, I don't wait. Uh, uh, that's not fair. You can't say every year because you don't stop listening to Christmas music. Oh, <laughs> uh, the years still go by. <laughs> um, no, I don't really have. I mean, we listen to music every year when we're decorating the tree, but like, you know, usually we'll just have one of our Christmas playlists on shuffle. There's not a specific album or anything we put on. It's just. Yeah, our most recent album. So I have a Christmas playlist, and I change the day every year. Um, That's cheating. Well, no, because I I was going to say I change it every year. So while I have all these different albums with different covers of every song all loaded onto my iPod or whatever, iPod, iPhone, um, (laughs) I don't have an iPod still, I... um, Every year, I, my playlist, I only like one version of each Christmas song on it. So I'm not hearing like five versions of Insert Christmas Carol here. So every year, I painstakingly go through this list and see what's staying, what's going, what's being replaced by a different uh, cover. There are a few that have okay, changed recently. You said you don't have albums in heavy rotation. Christine and I, for several years, have had a couple of albums in heavy rotation. One of them is Sting's Winter's Night, which is amazing. and has uh, him covering some older English Christmas hymns that you don't hear every day, like Soul Cake, which is fun. But my favorite is from an artist named Simon Hajar and his album, Finally Christmas. If you guys want to add a new Christmas tradition, I highly recommend it. You can find it on Bandcamp, and it's amazing. I don't have specific traditions to go with Christmas music generally. There are certain covers of certain songs that bring up memories from Christmas's past for me. Not necessarily traditions, just specific memories. Speaking of those memories, I think Tom and I might have a new musical Christmas tradition that you are single-handedly responsible for. What? It's not Christmas until I hear you sing, it's Marley and Marley. <laughs> <laughs> it's Marley and Marley, every <laughs> <laughs> and there it is, <laughs> bringing our love of movies and music together for you this Christmas season. So, so be sure to subscribe to Tis the Podcast on your favorite podcast player to hear us cover your favorite Christmas movies and TV specials year-round. And join us for our last episode of the year where we are focusing entirely on Christmas music. We can continue this conversation. Interact with us on social media before that episode, and we'll get your comments added. Thanks so much for listening. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. (laughs) Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. (laughs) There are a few other podcasts on the Christmas Podcast Network that couldn't make a bit for our sampler, but you should definitely give them a try. There's the It's a 90s Christmas podcast, which is personally offensive to me because I lived through the 90s, and considering it a time of nostalgia is an affront to my illusory sense of youth. Then there's Hallmark and Jest, who have this strange, I guess you'd call it affection, for those Hallmark movies. Again, I need extra rum in my eggnog to get through those things. And speaking of Hallmark, there's also Deck the Hallmark, which some of you already may know about. Yeah, those losers couldn't do a bit for our promo because, oh, we're too busy traveling to New York to be on Good Morning America and getting all famous and buddy-buddy with Michael Strahan and hanging out with all the podcast groupies in the big city. I'm not jealous at all. Besides, I don't have to sit and watch every single Hallmark movie like those guys do and then talk about them for hours and take them all apart. Truly, though, listen to that show. It is hilarious, even if you haven't tortured yourself to watch all the movies like they do. So that leaves me. What's my holiday Christmas music tradition? Know what? I'm not telling you. You want to know? Go to christmaspodcastnetwork.com and listen to someone else's show. 
How's that for a promo? I promise you content, and it's all bait and switch. You know what? What I have to say, though, is hilarious. It's better than anything I've ever done, and if you don't go try someone else's version of this show, you're going to miss it. Won't you feel bad? Won't your Thanksgiving be ruined? Besides, what else are you going to do but listen to your uncle talk about Trump for a few hours? I know you're sitting there with one headphone in your ear pretending to pay attention to your family. That's what we all do on Thanksgiving. So try one of the other guys. Maybe you'll find a few extra hours of distraction from your regular boring life. Oh, and since I just insulted you, let me ask a favor. If you like the Weird Christmas Podcast or the website or follow along to the weird cards through the year, would you consider buying me a coffee? There's a site called coffee.com, actually ko-fi.com. That's like a mini Patreon site where you can donate a teeny mere $3 to the show. That'll help fund the Flash Fiction Contest, help me improve the podcast, and finally get all the cards uploaded and organized. It really means a lot to me for those who've helped out already. Uh, Thanks to the couple anonymous people who did it since last time. I mean, if you'd have left your name, I'd have thanked you in way more embarrassing detail. But there's a link at weirdchristmas.com, or you can just go to ko-fi.com. So that's it, folks. Christmaspodcastnetwork.com. And now my promotional duties are done. Next time, it's back to straight weirdness. So until then... Don't let Santa stuff you in his bulging, sweaty sack. Hey, and isn't all this Christmas electronic ambient stuff in the background awesome? Check out Mystery Memo on Twitter. He's the one who made it.